podcast. We're making a podcast. I think the one thing you can't say about this podcast is that it is the newest podcast, potentially, as of right now. You might not be able to say much else about it. The but newest, yeah. It is the newest the, podcast. The, the premier Marxist communist podcast <laughs> of all the podcasts you're listening to right yeah. now. And premiere, not in the sense of best, but premiere in the sense of newest. It's premiering it now. Premiering yes, right yeah. now. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Or as soon as we're able it's to figure a, out it's how to a, do it. It's a, yeah, a fringe screen at a fringe... <laughs> yeah festival of a, <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, but yeah. here we Recorded are in an alley technically we haven't decided on a name but i think no. we'll just go ahead and make the uh uh editorial decision now of auxiliary statement i think i think i think pluralized this is, this is the great this is the great rift between the two of us at the moment auxiliary statements it is yeah it neither is. of them roll off the tongue particularly well they are yeah, well, googleable i think yeah. but not particularly memorable yeah well the, memorable um, I will say uh, it's going to come down to whoever actually puts the podcast up. Oh, shit. Because if it's me, I don't know how to do that. And if it's me, I might do auxiliary statements. But auxiliary, <laughs> okay, okay, auxiliary okay, statements okay. too, maybe. Okay, okay. Regardless. I mean, yeah, I think, um, I don't know about your disposition. Mine, obviously, as we were just saying, incredibly neurotic. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I um, I fully endorse somebody taking an executive decision. Yeah. Now that you say that out loud, I kind of don't really want to do it. Maybe, okay, so hey, welcome to Auxiliary Statements. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> auxiliary Statements. Um, what are we doing? What are we doing with this podcast? Um, I kind of think we're doing a couple different things. I suppose, to kind of get started, I thought I would kind of have a bit of an information dump. So get ready for this, because this might be a little bit long. Um, I figured I'd read one of the most quoted Marx quotes. Um, of all time. It's from Third Volume of Capital. Um, and bear with me here, Dan, because I think this might be a little bit long. So <laughs> I think I think I think we owe it to everybody to kind of explain the name, to explain what we're doing. So Karl Marx. Karl Marx. The name. Yeah. yeah <laughs> to explain Karl Marx. But the quote begins something along these lines. It says there's a specific economic form in which unpaid surplus labor is pumped out of direct producers, determines the relationship of rulers and ruled. Kind of blah, 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 blah. It goes on from there. It is always the direct relationship of the owners of the conditions of production to the direct producers, a relation always naturally corresponding to a definite stage in the development of the methods of labor and thereby its social productivity, which reveals its innermost secret, the hidden basis of the entire social structure, and with it, the political form of the relation of sovereignty and dependence. In short, the corresponding specific form of the state. So that doesn't really explain the name of the podcast at all, but kind of he goes on later to say, and I guess, I, you know, basically what he's saying there is just that the economic form that we all have right now currently is not always the one that we've always had, and that it definitely determines a lot more of what we think. <laughs> um, so, you know, it determines the apparatus of the state, politics, art, to Marx also, um, social consciousness, social relations, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of like, you know, the basics or like the cornerstone of Marxism. But I think the reason that we came up with um, the name Auxiliary Statements, uh, he kind of goes on to explain in a later passage, and I kind of think he uh, expands in a way that a lot of kind of like self-described Marxists or communists or socialists um, don't really think about. And I think that this is kind of the crux of what we're trying to do with this show, right? So bear with me. And right now I'm quoting from uh, Ralph Miliband's Marxism and Politics, which Dan has kindly lent me. Um, this is the introduction, um, and he's going to be, I'm quoting him, but he's also quoting Marx, so you, know, you just figure it out. As for Marx, he says, the pa this passage from Capital just quoted goes on to say that, quote, the same economic basis because of innumerable different empirical circumstances, natural environment, racial relations, external historical influences, etc., will show infinite variations and gradations in appearance, which can be ascertained only by analysis of the empirically given circumstances, and these variations must obviously include the political part of the superstructure. So there, obviously, I mean, the name of the book is Marxism and Politics, so he's obviously kind of talking about the um, politics behind Marxism. But I guess, I don't know, what is he saying there? He's basically saying that uh, we can't be economic determinists, right? Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. What did we get from that quote from Marx? What I took away was the um, history is made of determined stages, and mm -hmm. those stages are primarily d defined by the relationship between a uh, an exploiting and exploitative, exploited mm -hmm. and exploiting class, mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. ruling and uh, working class. Yeah, I mean, also, I guess what he's saying is that it isn't just economics, right? I mean, you know, you can have the same general theory of history. You can have this theory that um, everything uh, comes down to the relation of the exploiters and the exploited. 
the chorus and the I don't know, choruses, something like that. Um, but that it's going to show infinite variations. And so that any kind of like grand historical thing that you make, and I kind of think that this is one of the main, um, uh, you know, maybe criticisms of Marxism from people that potentially don't really understand it, uh, myself included. Um, is that uh, it, it's just a grand historical theory, and as we all know, grand historical theories don't really uh, hold up um, because, like, like Marx is saying, there, there are just too many variables, right? So, I, yeah, I guess that kind of like the name auxiliary statement kind of comes down to that idea in the philosophy of science of the auxiliary statement, which is a way to um, kind of like create an addendum to um, theories, right? Where um, right now, I guess there are a lot of people who are new to left politics and left theory, um, I hope, at least. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if you were just like an alien looking at the world, I don't think you would really think that. But I like to think that there are um, at least some new people who are uh, going to be calling themselves Marxists or communists even, or you know, even just socialists, who might not have the theory or anything kind of behind their thinking. But um, if they do... I think that the the broader theory will kind of take precedent over specific historical examples. That's um, quite often what you're introduced to first. You mm. you either encounter some kind of Marxist small Marxist political party, might mm. you, what you might pejoratively call a sect, <laughs> um, uh, usually in the Leninist Marxist Leninist Marxist Leninist Trotskyist love it vein. Mm. Um, which will usually require you to learn a whole series of like doctrinal statements, mm. usually dogmatic, quite, kind of. do, yeah, potentially dogmatic, mm. um, what often come across as quite calcified, quite stuck in a particular historical period. Mm. I know for me, for quite a long time, I've wanted to adhere to these these ideas. I mm. wanted, I felt some kind of fidelity to this history, um, these thinkers. I've wanted these oft-quoted statements of Marx or Lenin or someone else to mean something and for me to have some uh, meaning to them. But at the same time, they always struck me as just doctrinal or dogmatic, mm-hmm. quoted to fill a particular gap in a in a well-trodden and sort of like quite tired debate mm-hmm. between two groups. This, this is the line that you trot out at this point to rebut this idea. Uh, and it never felt living or... Uh, particularly useful absolutely and you sort of like come away being like what is it that i've experienced what have i learned from this yeah well yeah uh, a bit somewhat rebuffed kind of yeah yeah um, but there's there's that and then also there's also the training you get in academia and Mm -hmm. if your academic training in marxism doesn't come from literal literary studies or definitely not real literature or cultural studies or what have you which Mm. is something i don't have any great experience of so i'm not quite sure what that experience is but Mm. if it's not coming from that then quite likely it's coming from sociology where you get first week uh marxism you get some basic statements like what you were just describing marx is some kind of economic determinist um a brief overlay of like the ideas of historical materialism, of historical stages of development, um, some stuff about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and uh-huh. um, Marx thought that all uh, sociological, political sociological action just came from um, the butting up against one another of these two great classes kind mm. of thing. Mm. Um, and then you move on to Max Weber, and yeah. you're, you're yeah. told that sort of like... Um, maybe Marx's writing had some meaning for his time, um, but no longer. Yeah. And so you're yeah, introduced to is, something more modern and like. Yeah. Uh, um, and so either way, what you come away with this idea of Marxism as being quite tired, um, 150 years out of date, mm. uh, of little use, um, and a, a, a sort of like um, a horse being flogged by. <laughs> A small number of people for uh-huh. not not particularly rationalizable lens gains, mm. Mm. and you just come away alienated. Yeah, well, that's the thing too. I mean, I think you hit on like a good idea, which is that Marxism is very much taught as grand historical theories, right? It is very much taught as like you know, Marx thought that historical materialism was like the thing, and that like you couldn't look at anything else, mm-hmm. and like you know, other what are you a volunteerist or like something like that, and like you know. It, you're taught that his ideas are very much 
um, set in stone and that they're not very dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think when you take a closer look, um, you see that they uh, very much are absolutely dynamic, right? And so I think I'm going to quote again from from another source. This is from another book Dan uh, lent me, or at least took photos of certain pages um, and sent to me. This is from Alan Gilbert's Marx's Politics, Communists and Citizens, I believe. I can't really read that last word that I wrote down, but I believe it's citizens. Marxist, Dan's holding it up. Communists and Citizens by Alan Gilbert. Okay, perfect. So this is, again, from the introduction of that book. Um, and he kind of tries to explain the idea of auxiliary statements, right? And so he says, the concept of auxiliary statements as used in the philosophy of science may clarify the relationship between Marx's general theory and his specific strategies and explanations. According to Hilary Putnam, a general scientific theory gains acceptance through striking successes as when Newton derived Kepler's laws from his theory of universal gravitation. Yet a successful theory confronts many problems as it is not yet solved, and some that may be simply too difficult to solve. Right, And so then I'm skipping a little bit, but he goes on to say, Putnam notice, notices a general dialectic of prediction and explanation in science, which also exists in Marx. When astronomers observed the deviant orbit of Uranus, for example, they did not doubt the theory of universal gravitation. Instead, Adams in England and Leverrier in France simultaneously predicted the existence of another planet whose gravitational pull would account for the deviation. Astronomers subsequently discovered Neptune. A failure of explanation led to a successful prediction. The existence of Neptune then served as a new auxiliary statement to correct the general theory's explanation of the orbit of Uranus. And in the 1840s and 1850s, Marx predicted that English workers would soon form a strong socialist movement. Despite the continuing oppressiveness of capitalism, they did not. Confronted with his failure, Marx examined the social and political divisions within the English working class more closely and offered a new auxiliary statement on the political consequences of English colonism, colonialism. Now, Marx envisioned internationalism on the Irish question, not only as a moral obligation for the English working class, but also as a political necessity. The continued thraldom of Ireland presented a chief obstacle for socialism in Britain. So basically, kind of a little bit of just short background on that is he was basically saying that the continued oppressive um, uh, actions of the British government, the English government, I suppose, on uh, the immigrant Irish citizens who were mainly of working class led to kind of a failure of um, coherency among the greater working class of all of England and of the United Kingdom. Anyway, the reason that we brought that up is to basically say that instead of just throwing out his whole idea of economic circumstances dictating um, political reality and what the state does and all this uh, jazz, he was able to make his uh, idea more dynamic, right? So he didn't just completely throw it out because obviously there was still friction between the working class and the oppressors, right, and the ruling class, um, but he was able to come up with an auxiliary statement, much like they did to discover a planet, which I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, and so I guess that, I guess that's kind of what we're at least attempting to do, is to attempt to make some um, kind of like modern left dogmatism, I suppose. I don't want to be too harsh, but a little bit more dynamic, right? And we're certainly not trying to gatekeep because, um, at least in my case, I don't think I know enough to gatekeep. Yeah, if you were going to make a, a really broad, sweeping generalization of what the left has done... Mm. Uh, since the death of Marx and it's entirely not uh, I'm sure there are many cases of people going in different ways um, people adding new things to to the theoretical framework to the mix um, but if you if you were to make say a sweeping generalization you might suggest you might say that Marx had a particular um, approach to theory and to practice to uh, grappling with the world in which he lived and his political engagements in that world, which I think it it would be fair to say his his primary concern was always to make political change. Mm, absolutely, uh, he yeah, was yeah. a political actor and a political mm. agent, or to, yeah, in or different to... in different ways in his life, right? Mm, like yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes active revolutionary, mm. sometimes scholar, obviously, mm. sometimes sort of writer of scathing polemic <laughs> for hundreds and hundreds of pages uh, classic uh, <laughs> but the re i mean the reason why uh alan gilbert in this book marx's politics he he takes from hillary putnam this idea of the auxiliary, auxiliary statement auxiliary statement an idea nothing to do with marxism per se in an attempt to try and explain what it is that marx is doing we all know that marx wrote these huge tracts 
in great detail explaining the inner workings of capitalism I mean most notably the volumes of capital mm. um, and the, the various notes that are an addendum to that or his various notes that aided him in the writing of uh, capital but I mean even in capital Marx was engaged in a process of logical reasoning more than um, description of the world in which he lived right he mm. he attempted to work out what the fundamentals of capitalism were regardless of the time period in which capitalism was in existence mm. so if i can make that more clear he he wasn't particularly explaining the world as it was in which he was living or the form of capitalism under which he lived he attempted to uh, discern and distill the fundamentals of the operating of capitalism as it would exist in its entirety uh, given that we've already said that um, Marx saw history in a series of particular phases and mm. those phases were determined by particular economic uh, hallmarks, signposts, mm. variables, mm. Um, most notably the the relationship, the, the means by which um, wealth was extracted from one class and consumed and hoarded by another. But that doesn't then mean that all Marx gave us was this great study mm. for us to sort of... Like, interpret and work with what he then did was worked on applying applying his theories to the world um and he was always prepared to meet failure and uh, reinterpret his theories and come again when a prediction that he'd made didn't meet with the way that things went well he adapted the theory but it didn't necessarily in invalidate the entirety of his work well, right. I mean, I guess there's there's a reason there's a reason that I guess history hasn't played out exactly the same in every single country, right? I mean, there's a reason we haven't like had a socialist revolution uh, in every single country in the exact same way, right? And I mean, that's just basically the idea of the auxiliary statement, which is to kind of um, not disprove the general thesis, and in this case, not disprove general theses behind Marxism, but to kind of um, expand on them to really make an academic and scientific study of how and why this theory uh, or theories might work. How come sometimes they don't? Um, and to kind of just go from there. And I guess, you know, I suppose we should have a little bit of background on ourselves just because, I mean, at least for myself, I don't kind of really tend to think of myself as really falling into any um, kind of like leftist kind of like clique. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm not, uh, I don't know, as academic uh, or as uh, well-read as I should be. Um, uh, Dan's a bit of a Jewchaist. Uh, Dan's very into Jewchaist, I will say. So you might you might get a little bit of uh, uh, bias towards the uh, Un family from him. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, doesn't come from me. Um, but I guess yeah, I mean, uh, just to kind of give it a little bit about ourselves, kind of how we wound up um, here. I think for me, I'm like I guess fairly typical in terms of like modern uh, millennial leftist. Growing up, I kind of always gravitated towards like the left of the American Democratic Party, right? Which, like, is to say for, like, a lot of my life, that was, like, John Kerry, you know? <laughs> or, like, uh, you know, Al Gore and then, like, Obama. Wow, Obama was, like, really progressive. Um, but then I think a big turning point for me came 2016, obviously, when Bernie ran. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a thing called democratic socialism. Oh, my God, that's crazy. That seems so neat. Um, and then by the time Bernie ran in 20... Uh, yeah, I guess 2019. Yeah, yeah, again, 2020. Um uh, I, I was more or less uh, kind of like a communist. <laughs> um, but I, it's, it was funny because it wasn't until I moved out here and here being um, the UK that I really kind of discovered that like there still were communists, you know what I mean? Which is like, a, I think, a pretty big indictment of like, uh, you know, the United States or maybe just like um, the coastal United States or just kind of like where I grew up. But like I said, kind of growing up, I was definitely part of a family that like always went to anti-war rallies and like war was like the biggest kind of like radicalizing thing, I suppose, for me. But then by the time I came out here um, and I saw that like in my university, there was like a Marxist reading group. I was like, oh, I'll go to that. I'll, I'll see what that was about. Uh, I'll see what that's about. And then I was kind of like surprised that it was like academics. I thought it was just going to be like a bunch of like pot smoking hippies and like, you know, like, whoa, like far out, like I'm an anarchist, like punks kind of thing. But it was like, no, it's like actually guys with like corduroy jackets and like, you know, elbow patches and like saying things that were completely above my head. And so I guess, yeah, I guess, I don't know, from there, I was uh, kind of just fascinated um, with this kind of like academic and like scientific approach to leftism. And I'm definitely still on that journey. And I think that that's part of what this podcast is, right? Is it's going to be kind of self-educational for both of us. 
So yeah, Dan, tell us a little bit about you and maybe skip over the parts about where you uh, defected to Pyongyang. <laughs> um, I can have a big long pause to think. We'll just edit it. Just doing <laughs> we'll some, just, edit just giving you some editing work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, there's going to be a lot of that. Today. There's, there's going to be a lot of like me breathing in and then it cutting to me talking. It's like, wow, did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jack's talking again and he's just got all <laughs> yeah. the time. No. Dan's talking again and he <laughs> just cut hold of himself out because he can't stand yeah. Wow, they just, Jack sounds a lot like they just ripped Terry Eagleton's voice from the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we could just collect together a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the option, right? You just you just have us rambling and then mm. cut to somebody more, a clip from yeah. YouTube that's far yeah. more authoritative. Yeah. You just cut that in. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Dan, I didn't realize you were the head of the CPGB. <laughs> cool. Good to know. Thanks for setting up. <laughs> thanks for setting up the communist schools. That was a really good idea. Um, I think I've always, um, I, well, it came from a family where politics was um, quite uh, active and lived, mostly on my mum's side. Anti-war, anti-nuclear weapons. Went to all of the stop the Iraq War rallies, or well, a great many of them through mm. the. Can I, let me just interrupt you for a sec. I just I just heard recently that the like very soon after America announced that we were just going to invade Iraq for pretty much no discernible reason, um, the protests that happened immediately after that were the largest single day protests in history, which I think is insane. Worldwide protest. Oh, you mean the number the number of people protesting worldwide? Worldwide. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Not like in one place or anything. Sure, but yeah, that was insane. Yeah, yeah. And we stopped the war. Yeah. <laughs> so for us. And it's just been a um, just we're just one step towards utopia every year. But <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. Stunning. No, nothing has happened. Nothing's gone. Yeah. Wrong. Anyway, welcome back to the activist podcast. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, and socialism was a word which I knew. And associated with uh, myself to some extent, and people in my family, and people around me, um, and I think for a while I um, would have rhetorically called myself a communist, even. Um, mostly, I don't know whether it was in an effort to be edgy, <laughs> or it still is. Let's be I honest. don't know, or maybe it was something that was. I somehow managed to articulate briefly once and then became associated with me from other people. Mm. Mm. Um, but at a certain point, what I realised I actually was, was a social liberal. Mm. Um, meaning a liberal-minded toward like um, how to generate positive social outcomes rather than some kind of economic liberal so it was at a point when everybody had sort of realised that oh, he's the edgy communist friend that I was like well actually uh, I've been to university now and I did one course and now I'm, uh, I consider myself to be a social liberal uh, actually like actually I ordered a Lenin hat off of Amazon so I'll have you know that I'm actually a Marxist Leninist and not a Stalinist yeah a really significant distinction to be made there <laughs> Um, I did that for quite. I did that for a little while, maybe all of my university years, and then um, uh, met some anarchists mm. around um, the 2010 student protests. Uh, was initially very put off <laughs> um, by. I don't. I don't quite know why or what the problem was. Maybe I think maybe I was just looking for nice, happy reconciliations and. Um, what they seemed to offer was mostly antagonism. Mm. Um, and I guess at some point I realised antagonism's cool. Uh, <laughs> or some some such. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I um, drifted toward anarchism. I don't quite know when or why or what mm. happened, how that sort of mm. bug got in there. Oh, who hasn't at one point? I know, everybody's had that phase. And yeah. it's, it's it's remarkable that it didn't come from reading Noam Chomsky, right? Because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. how it's meant to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just going to say, in defense of Noam Chomsky, um, he's also a pretty big part of, like, me discovering that there was something beyond, like, American democratic liberalism. Sure, right? yeah. I, like, I mean, his I mean his service... Um, yeah, yeah, because I was like... It is imme immeasurable. Yeah. It's like, um, America's doing what? Where? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And now you're here. Sorry, I'm just now, now I'm thinking about, like, the, the role that Jeremy Corbyn played for such a long time, being, like, <laughs> hammering on this kind of, like... Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say... Foreign policy yeah. stuff. 
Anyway, now I'm thinking about becoming an anarchist. Now again. I'm thinking about becoming an anarchist. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm perhaps drifting back toward that direction, but um, mm. that's something to be talked about later on as well. <laughs> we'll um, get there. Yeah, storied history. Mm. Um, and then um, had the misfortune misfor- or misfortune of um, adapting back toward something called communism, something adjacent to Marxism, through university and mm. through um i don't know what it, i don't know what it's like now but through um uh political theory um classes and spaces which were quite heavily orientated around structuralism post-structuralism mm, sure um and so what i ended up uh, adopting or being introduced to was a um a sort of communist politics very much in the kind of like Alain Badiou mm. and also uh, Louis Althusser to some mm. extent um, and then also probably adopted quite a lot of like philosophical um, ideas that are quite uh, or sort of run adjacent and parallel to that um, like making efforts to consider myself to be uh, some kind of anti-humanist mm. Um, mm. Quite how cyborg that... yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pro the Borg <laughs> This is a prolocutus podcast. This, yeah, this is a, this is a pro- <laughs> well. I was, I was always, I was really, I was really, always Uh-oh. really put out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> communist politics over. <laughs> this is now the premier Star Trek podcast that you're listening to right now. I was really always put out by the idea that the Borg needed some kind of humor. This is when I was in. This is this is my this, my sort of like phase of being a heavy analyst of Star Trek. Uh, also corresponded phase. with my phase of being. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean anyway. um, yeah, phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my phase of being a heavy analyst of of uh, Star Trek also coincided with my phase of being a someone influenced by post structuralism. Interesting. Do? <laughs> Interesting. But, all, but yeah, 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 and also anarchism to some extent. Mm. Um, mm. I was always really put out by the idea that the Borg needed a human be mm. needed a human. That, like a yeah, human yeah. element kind yeah. of thing like um the, the the case they always made was that somehow I, what, what i understood to be the case that was being made was that the ball collective was lacking something which like wow. the individual creativity of human beings mm. there was something privileged and special about the about the human being yeah that the borg somehow lacked yeah and they needed to have some kind of um some kind of uh element that yeah. wasn't just something a drone yeah uh, but yeah. uh, had, had some kind of like a semi-individualistic capacities, and all, and also, I mean, I mean that interpretation I would reject now. The idea that they needed some kind of leader is still sort of perhaps problematic. Like, sure, um, they need the some general sort of, intellect, yeah. the Borg. <laughs> yeah, the Borg is the gen- yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, that, um, that the baby brain is uh, being a federationist of the, of the federation, and then the next level is being Borg, and then the final level is realizing that the Frangi have it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, and then did, you'll listen to the Libertarian podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Dan and I had a weird conversation the other day about. Uh, we're not going to get into now, but it was about phrenology and Ferengis, but we're not going to get into that now. That's another episode. <laughs> Um, impressive brain pan that's all i'm saying yeah it's impressive yeah, yeah, yeah. the brown i don't know how much is like skull and how much is ear so, yeah like, that's a good point yeah. actually what it, yeah large yeah. skull bony yeah. ear uh, answer that one phrenologist um I didn't know. and then uh, anyway now you're here and now you're now you're a communist with a podcast you're not gonna let me like uh... <laughs> Sorry, when you said that that was a phase of Star Trek, I was like, oh, that takes us up to present day. Oh, okay. I see. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm also yes. glad that you were the first one to pronounce Louis Althusser because up until last week, I was calling him Louis, Louis Althusser. <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm trying to rack my brain for some terrible pronunciations that I've done. <laughs> Anton Panacook, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Panekowek, was yeah. with that for a while. Yep, yep. I'll I'll be sh- I'll be sure that you pronounce the names first. Okay, you, well you can do the French ones. Okay. Well, actually, that's not that's not necessarily true because like because Althusser's French, obviously. Yeah. Um, if it's a French name that I've come across, then I can probably manage it. I'll do the American names. Oh. Specifically, if they're from California, I can do that. Maybe <laughs> you can just about manage that. You just yeah. manage that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, post-structuralist Marxism uh, fading into left communism heavy phase of anti-parliamentary left communism 
I'm not going to vote. What a joke. Wow. Uh, How brave. Trade unions are nothing but like... Um, mm, pawns. Yeah, yeah, pawns to the system. Mm. Um, have no revolutionary element at all. How long did you not vote for? Uh, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> I vote... Yeah, I, um, I went into the voting... I almost said voting booth. That's what you would say, isn't it? Do you not have any what would, here? what would it be called here? <laughs> that is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I went, to, I went to the polling station um, for the European elections in 2014, thoroughly intending to vote for the Green Party, oh. and then came out having voted for the Socialist Party of Great Britain. Oh. A, 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 an interesting uh, organisation, which I won't say anything bad about now. Yeah. Um, because because I view them with some degree of favour. Mm. Um, That's good. But found the idea that I just voted for the Socialist Party of Great Britain kind of absurd. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't vote again until Jeremy Corbyn in 2017, I don't think. Those were the years. Those were the years. Those were the years. Those were the years. Um, oh, great. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Forgot about that for a second. I bought it back. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, well, yeah, and then started drifting back toward... Um, I don't know, rational shores of something. Mm. No, I mm. voted for Jeremy Corbyn in 2017. Mm. was like, okay, maybe I do need to take seriously the fact that there is a, uh, a left-wing leader of the Labour Party. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be pegging all of my hopes for political progress on some kind of insurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead consider there might be practical politi- political work to be done. Mm parliamentary work to be done even maybe there are reforms that are worth fighting for maybe uh, maybe. maybe maybe and, and now and then eventually uh joined the labor party and for that entire period i've just been struggling to find a way to reconcile i think um a practical politics directed toward something called social democracy and um practical politics directed toward uh, participation in elections which might have a progressive outcome and then also on on the on the like every other day still considering myself some kind of revolutionary communist who mm. would settle for nothing less than the revolutionary overthrow of the bourgeoisie and um, that'd be nice establishment of workers control of the means of production. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty it, cool. It, it, pretty, pretty, I will say, pretty gnarly. I would be in favor of that. That'd be good. Um, so yeah, I think that that, that it, it's a good way of defining perhaps what I'm trying to look for is um, one a way to um, wrestle with and adapt and even just basically to understand some sort of both basic uh, Marx Marxian. Mm-hmm. i.e. stemming from Marx tenants and then also to look at Marxist tenants if they've become transformed into sort of like doctrinal or other types of belief and work out whether they're of what use totally. they are yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, something, the auxiliary statement. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we're all trying to do here. I guess that's, to a certain extent that's what everybody's trying to do, right? Is to just seek some kind of understanding Um but no matter no matter where you fall politically, you're you're going to be kind of like off put um, by a bit of kind of like the dogma of whatever right of Marxism or uh, the perceived dogma I should say, or uh, you know if you're a libertarian or something or if you're um, uh, whatever else people are. So yeah, I guess we're just trying to understand and we're trying to kind of promote um, what we might perceive as good ideas. Um, and also, I I just kind of wrote down a couple other tidbits just to kind of. Just kind of like some interesting things I would kind of like to talk about with this podcast. Um, we talked we talked the other day about kind of just like this idea of like a brand problem. There's too much brand loyalty, right, on the left. Because I mean, we we we'll save this complete discussion for another show. But I think we both really want to get into this idea of like should should we be calling ourselves communists? Should we be uh, having hammer and sickles in our Twitter bios? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Or should we just completely start with something fresh that is completely inspired by um, Marxist ideas um, and communist uh, uh, thought and um, uh, academia and whatnot? Um, or, um, yeah, is that all just completely ruined by McCarthyism and by um, kind of like the last century, right? I mean, can we just completely write the last century off, right? 
so yeah, just that idea, that idea of like um, of, of brand loyalty to kind of symbols and things like that in the past. I for one, and I think you've as well. Um, I mean, to some extent, you're part of this generation, and perhaps the way that I'm not, in that um, there seems to be a great willingness amongst a growing number of people to call themselves socialists. Sure. And I sometimes wonder uh, what that means to them uh, when I'm feeling a bit more um, didactic, or uh, I, I wonder whether whether they're doing it right and whether I can sure. put them straight. Sure. And what what it means, yeah. or if it's just um, good intentions, right? And good intentions are there. Does yeah. everybody need to be us? Yeah, certainly, well, certainly not. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, and what? But yeah, what? But yeah, but to to expand that idea a little bit, like, um, what kind of knowledge of socialist and communist history would it take for people to take the next step? Absolutely. Yeah. Can that next step be taken? With very minimal understanding of that history, mm. or and working very mm. not particularly closely with that tradition, mm. even if they adopt some of the signifiers, mm. or maybe we don't. We need to drop ditch the signifiers to win over, maybe not you or I's parents, but mm. like somebody sure. else's parents. Um, but actually, be regard um, other than that, maintain some kind of like mm. connection to that tradition and yeah, uh, fidelity mm. to those ideas. Mm. Yeah, 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 and yeah. That kind of leads me into the next thing, which is kind of just understanding um, uh, the the tactics that have worked, right? Because I mean, I definitely went through a phase where I was like, okay, everybody needs everybody needs to know their uh, uh, European history from uh, 1789 through uh, uh, you know 1918. Yeah, phase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, we're just gonna stop using the word phase uh, from now on on this show. Um, but it's yeah, you brought up the other day. It's like, does that do we need to know what happened in 1848 in Hungary? Do we need to know what happened in 1848 in France? Do we need to know about um, any of these things? And I'm not saying that to say no, we don't need to know our history because obviously someone needs to know the history. But um, does the average schmuck need to have an opinion on uh, uh, the July days or the June days or of you know Louis Napoleon uh, ascending to become Emperor of France or? Um, uh, anything like that, mm-hmm. um, and anyway, that br- that brings me into the the next point, which is just kind of I mean, like like myriad left wing organisations have invested a huge amount of mm. effort in uh, training their cadre members to yeah. have all the right positions on all of the various different historical yeah. uh, moments you've just described, and every possible theoretical mm. difference have- that might have ever been had yeah. in a very particular portion of time and to have the right opinion about it right the right opinion yeah and i mean their idea is that that those people are then going to lead the people who don't have the information sure um and then i mean there may be some truth in that but it does it it certainly feels to me that a lot more effort has been put into um learning the doctrine than Mm. uh i don't know practicing or trying to find forward, a find to find right? a, a good a good uh, religious metaphor or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but anyway, then, yeah, the gospels. Quite, yeah. yeah. But the, the um, preaching the gospel. There's not a lot yeah. of preaching the gospel going. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd also like to I think we'd both also like to talk about the tactics that have worked, right? And I mean, that is certainly not necessarily uh, a Marxist idea, right? Because looking around us, uh, I don't think I need to explain that point, but. Um, you know, we, need, we I think moving forward, if anybody does want to see any kind of change, which we all should, um, uh, we need to, we need to study not just the things that we want to study, you know, uh, 1848, um, but uh, the things that we kind of don't really want to look at, right? The things that have worked, meaning uh, since the end of World War II, at least in America, like how, how has this ideology just been crushed, meaning Marxism and and really anything left of like Bernie Sanders, right? Although, you know, speaking of crushed, um, like how has it, how has that happened, right? How has like this l- kind of like liberal um, consensus formed um, in, in the world? And what can we learn from that? Um, is there anything to learn from it? Um, yeah, I think that'd be a great thing to talk about. You're proposing the possibility that we might learn from the right in some way yeah learn from the right learn from learn from kind of like the center like the liberals learn from the social democrats um i certainly think that if like i said if we want to make i mean if, if forward we're gonna need to right yeah i mean if only to rebut those tactics we exactly need to exactly yeah, yeah, yeah um 
But I mean, I, w one thing I will say is that, like, let's say the example of like a Cuba or something like that, where so much emphasis was placed on this cultural revolution, right? That that worked, right? At least for certainly for a while. Um, um, but it really worked in America, right? And America just projects that ideology all over the world. How has that happened, right? Um, because I think it is a lot more like slipping into kind of like a warm bath, right? For most people for this ideology that everybody now is more or less kind of like comfortable within the like American political sphere. And I don't mean that to say like there aren't massive changes that are happening, but, um, you know, that ideology is comfortable for a lot of people, you know, so... How, how has that happened? How did that cultural revolution happen? Because I don't think cultural revolution is really only, um, uh, uh, only happens in leftist kind of theory, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, that straight, strain of American politics um, certainly mastered hegemony in a way that sure. the, the left never Definitely succeeded in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I mean, just ideology is just one part of that, I think. Um, so, yeah, 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 like like with the auxiliary statement, hopefully we won't be confining ourselves to kind of like the dogma of I hate to keep using that word, but of um, conventional political ideas. Um, and also, um, vaguely, I think further down the line, probably we'll wind up talking about um, the role of militancy, the role of um, reform versus revolution. Um, and to kind of see if any of those are possible. Mm -hmm. Militancy is possible, mm -hmm. reform, mm -hmm. revolution. Guns. Um, Do we guns. need guns? We all need guns. <laughs> um, I worked the other day. Someone bought uh, shotgun cartridges, and I didn't even know we sold them. And I was like, wow, uh -huh. cool. Okay. And I was like, here we go, baby. <laughs> I was like, I thought that was only in America. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you need to start preaching to that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm pretty sure that guy yelled at me for like 15 minutes, so okay, maybe not. Okay. Did um, you realize that he was yelling at you? Oh, yeah. Okay. He, he, he came into the warehouse that I work and specifically... You might have to explain why you just said you think uh, he yelled at you for 15 minutes. Well, because there were two of us in the warehouse and he just was yelling like at the uh, warehouse. And it was just like... Okay, he was, he was yelling. Here. Yeah, he was yelling at the warehouse. He was just yelling. Okay. He was just an angry guy. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, what are you going to do? Anyway, militancy. It's a good look. It's yeah, a good it's look. Good look. Yeah, yeah. To go into a warehouse where you're not allowed to be and just start yelling. He, anyway. he was just testing the acoustics. So then he was <laughs> yeah. like, hey, they're great. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to... Sounded. They were good. The acoustics were good, I would say. Um, you definitely heard them with some clarity. Yeah, well, clarity. You definitely heard them. Um, anyway, I think that about covers it. Um, auxiliary statement. Look at us. We're going for it. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to say? I mean, this is just an intro episode, I guess, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all lack of clarity will be covered with further lack of clarity. Yeah, exactly. At some future point, and in we'll time. just fall back on the idea of the auxiliary statement, being like, "Well, we're just exploring when we make everything much more confusing." Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing no, I... yeah, no, no effort to be um, to have mastered anything. Yeah. 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 Like, no kidding. We can wait for mastery until the judgment day. Exactly. Exactly. We're just going for it. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose we probably should have figured out what we're going to talk about in our actual first first episode. Um, maybe we'll uh, uh, just expand on these two books. Honestly, Marx's politics. I think. I think. I think. Um, I think we should just do a classic. Read the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah talk the, talk talk about the book. Talk about because, the book. Um, read the book. I mean, I I obviously torn between. I don't know whether this is for the podcast. Or anything. <laughs> I, I don't know whether any of this is ever going to actually get published. <laughs> this is just for our it's, own this has been a It's been a fun experiment to to learn what it is like, ostensibly have a conversation with someone that you're in a room with, but really be talking to somebody who's not here. Yeah, the ideal listener. It's Yeah, it's very, yeah, you are, listener, you are ideal. Yeah, yeah, not um, you, though. <laughs> you know who you, you are. You know who you are, but you, though, you're ideal. Okay, so yeah, let's just say that. Uh, so may, so maybe, yeah, maybe it is um, Ralph Miliband's Marxist, Marx and politics. Marxism and politics. Do you have Marxism, I mean, this is why Jack's going to do all the reading. Um, <laughs> it is I, Ralph I, 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 I mean, if anything, if, if nothing else has come from this, I've discovered that Jack has an excellent reading voice. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you dear listener might have to <laughs> let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let um, us know in the comments. But, 
Send, yeah, we yeah, also, tweet, tweet it. Yeah, well. Don't tweet at me. Don't tweet at me. Please, God, don't tweet at me. I, was, I, think, me I think maybe we just get everybody to tweet to Ed. We, yeah, just, we, we exactly. might just have to use tweet this as a way to... Yeah, tweet Ed. Tweet it, Ed. We'll put Ed's Twitter in the description. Go ahead and tweet whatever you want at Ed. His DMs are open, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, so we'll, I, we'll, we should probably sort out all that crap later. Um, so maybe by the time this goes up, there's there'll a be lot, a, a, like a Twitter and like an email or something. There's yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. to be sorted. I don't know whether... Um, yeah, how do we promote this kind of thing? Yeah. A if, we had a, if we had a Twitter, campaign. we'd have to tweet things, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. We had a Facebook. And a Facebook. All of our yeah. You don't have Facebook. How about uh, you, li- yeah. we'll have a, okay the LinkedIn did, for the show. Did you ever have Facebook? I did. Okay, yeah. and then you just got rid of it. I got rid of it. Yeah, in yeah. high school, it just made me feel like shit. What facilitated that? Or preempted that? Or? It just it just made me feel bad. I just realized one day I was just like, every time I go on Facebook, I feel bad. And then I got rid of my Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, I still feel bad, but less bad. And now I'm not sure. just like projecting sure, my anxiety sure, sure, sure. on like bad jokes on my status. I find that I just scroll. I, I just pick, like, but, th- like but there isn't and there isn't an, uh, there isn't really an emotional investment in it. Mm. Like I, I don't see anything that mm. angers me or doesn't anger me. I think maybe either like yeah maybe I just don't get exposed to the right yeah. the right materials. I see a lot of articles. I'm like I probably ought to read this. Yeah, gonna read the, the yeah. first paragraph. Yeah. I would like That's to know what gets promoted in your Facebook feed. I'd like to see. I, there yeah. was a, when everybody very was... strange things are happening. Yeah. So so okay so um <laughs> I uh, I. Uh, I don't get a lot of ads. Mm-hmm. Mostly what I get is promoted videos, mm. sports, really? all sorts of random sports stuff. Uh. Because it's just, my, my Facebook feed has just learned what catches my attention as so I'm scrolling yeah. past. I'm like, oh, a video to watch. Great. Uh. <laughs> a, br- a brief hiatus from the labor of scrolling. <laughs> I, can, I, can watch, I can watch someone who score a home run. Or, uh... Score a home run. Yeah. Look at that guy. He just scored a home run. That's what they say. I don't know anything about baseball. You seem, well, you watch a lot of it. Clearly, I watch a lot of people hitting the baseball. <laughs> they do hit the baseball. Yeah. That is and it's, like, it's funny, actually, because I don't get a lot of NFL stuff. And... Mm. That's the one American sport that I probably actually know anything about. Really? Yeah, yeah. I quite, I quite like football. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's alright. Um, so yeah, there's that. I saw somebody do an underhand serve in tennis the other day and got an ace. Cool. I guess. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. So yeah, sports stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, I watched watching a skateboarding video earlier from yeah, like cool. 2016. God Tony Hawk. And then there's all those videos that are like somebody makes a great thing and it's it's, it's really nice like yeah. sped up thing somebody making oh, sure. a table and I watch half of it and then the ad comes on and yeah. I don't watch the ad. Yeah. Um, and then quite often because I, because my brain has now been attuned to this kind of like um, you see a video of somebody it's a sped up version of somebody doing something that's kind mm-hmm. of impressive. Um, I found myself quite often watching for some reason it's just started promoting like makeup videos to me. <laughs> So I suddenly like my my brains. I'm just Your skin like, looks great. Just, I'm just yeah, thank you. I'm just like <laughs> just like scrolling, scrolling. Oh, there's a video of someone putting on an eyeshadow yeah. for some reason. Yeah, and it's just captivating, just long enough for me to like, yeah. oh, the algorithm has decided that I've watched this. Yeah, and now, like, twenty percent of my YouTube ads are for makeup. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is that I'm giving to the algorithm or uh, the advertising. Uh. Uh, economy uh. but I, I think it's probably positive yeah it's interesting I, <laughs> when i when i when i was like using instagram a lot i noticed that one of the things that it really pushed on me was like turkish street food from like istanbul okay oh my god i don't really eat meat and uh none of it is really something uh anything that i uh, potentially would eat uh but wow it's so much fun to just watch it getting made. It's so crazy <laughs> so much stuff is just so cool anyway um uh, this is this has been the uh, Facebook sponsored um, yeah, auxiliary yeah, yeah. statements so, so podcast. podcast. Um, uh, tune in next time when we do when we will be discussing. Let's just say we will be discussing Marxism and politics, at least part of it. Ralph Miliband. My cover's got a picture of Marx on it. Dan's cover, I'm not sure. My, my, just a couple my, of colors. Well, I think there might have been several there. editions. I have what might be a first edition. Oh wow! I don't know, 1970 something. Yeah. If this politics seems out of date, it's because it is. Yeah, in 1977, I think. 77, and you've, Seven. you've got the 20... You've got the 20... 2004... Yeah, thank you for that. ...re-edition. 
Unfortunately, my my one has several pages torn out of the front of it. Yeah, so we will not be discussing. So we will not be pages. discussing the introduction between pages four and nine in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> which, which is funny because I quoted page eight in today's yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, no, because I took some photographs of your copy before I gave it to you. Oh, so we've okay. both been working from photos that yep. I've taken. Wait, the, the, no, the photos were from. Yeah, the photo. Yeah, you. Uh, the there were, there are multiple named, sets of photos of pages. Yeah, multiple the confusingly sets of named of pages. Marxist politics. I quite, but I quite like how um, that one has a preface by um, Ellen oh, Meeksins Wood. Yeah. Who is uh, someone we certainly will return to mm. every week, perhaps mm. if I have my way. Wow! Uh, um, and that preface is like sort of saying like Marxist politics certainly isn't in the place it was in 1977, where it was at this high point. Gotcha. And there she's she's talking about how in 2004 it certainly was at really quite a low point. Mm. And I find it curious that now what we're 16 years on from that, oh, and God. now we're maybe potentially on the way back up again or at least yeah um, baby baby <laughs> um i was gonna correct you on something but i forget what it was oh just correct me on anything and I'll, <laughs> For, oh I'll just assume you this you was a, ne- a necessary correction that was actually the foreword and not the preface because the preface was by ralph miliband oh, so that old guy that uh, old guy that old that old uh yeah. governor yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. This has almost been an hour that, long. If that surname uh, sounds intro. familiar, it, it's because of no reason at all. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Um, anyway, auxiliary statements. Um, if Dan has his way, which, yeah, he will. Um, auxiliary statements, because uh, why not? I'm Jack. Dan. Dan. Uh, Jack and Dan. A, it's been fun. It's been fun. A grueling, grueling experience. It's been grueling, and hopefully next episode we'll have a light on in the room that we're recording. It's a dark. Oh, I, I hadn't experienced the dark. Yeah, yeah, not you, bad. See, you must be able to see me in silhouette. Yeah, yeah. I can see you. Yeah, I can see you perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dan is beautiful. Just as backward. much as I'd want to see. Yeah. All right. No well, more. we'll uh, we'll see you next time. I don't know. <laughs> Some doubt. Music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People 2 by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. You can check out this song and more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. If you like this episode, be sure and follow us up at Ox Statements on Twitter. That's A-U-X Statements on Twitter.com. And be sure and tune in next episode for more comedy discussion. Till next time.